and welcome to Reliving My Youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. I had the pleasure of chatting with Ellen Reed, one of the vocalists of Crash Test Dummies. Now, they're best known in the States for the mm song, but there's so much more than that. Ellen's probably best known for her or the band's remake of XTC's The Ballad of Peter Pumpkinhead, which was featured on the Dumb and Dumber soundtrack. Ellen talks about that. Ellen talks about just about the band in general, about them getting back together, and now they're out touring again. Very lovely, very funny woman. And here's my conversation with Ellen. When did you first uh, like get involved in music? Um, my family is very musical, so um, I was put into music lessons very young, I think four or five. Um, my father was the church organist. My mother was the choir director. She would play, you know, sang in festivals, and, and her parents as well. So um, I guess I, since I was very young, I was in lessons and in, in uh, events and stuff like that, yeah. yeah. Were you put in kicking and screaming, or did you really want to do it? Um, I really wanted to do it, but I think I was one of those kids who wanted to be able to do it. I didn't want to actually have to put in the work, the practicing and all that kind of stuff. I, I was a, I was a resentful practicer, <laughs> um, but I, you know, I did it cause I was told to. So, um, but of course I, I am glad that I did it and I'm glad that my parents put their foot down and made me, made me do the, the grunt work. <laughs> right. Did you ever think that you would have a career in it? Never. Yeah. The only sort of career in music that I could imagine could have imagined myself in was being a music teacher, and just watching my music teachers in in school. It's just, oh, do I want this? Do I want to live on aspirin and booze? <laughs> uh, it, you know, because it's such a a noisy job <laughs> being right. a music teacher. Yeah, yeah. So, who were like your influences at growing up besides your parents? Um, musically, um. Well, when I was very young, I just sort of listened to what my parents listened to, um, and I think I still have those tastes today. A lot of folk music. Um, I like I like music with with good solid melodies. I'm I'm not even that interested in the lyrics so much to tell you the <laughs> truth. Um, if, if it if it has a good solid melody that you can sing along to, then that's the kind of stuff I like. I listen to you know Simon and Garfunkel and the Irish Rovers and. Um, even Sonny and Cher, Neil Diamond. I was a big Neil Diamond fan when I was a kid. <laughs> no, yeah, he's, he's great. He, he, I, I saw him yeah. last concert. Yeah, he's, he's, it's a good time with him, definitely. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then when I was older and, and you know picked my own music, I listened to more rock and roll music, as one does when one's a teenager. Aerosmith and The Who and um, stuff like that. Right. So as, as you got a little bit older, um, did you like go to you know college and uh, kind of continue your music career that way? Um, I didn't go to university or college to to become a musician. I went to, to the University of Winnipeg um, to get a history degree, and I thought that I would become a librarian or a lawyer or uh, I would continue in history. Um, right. But that's where I met Brad and, and the rest of the gang, and uh, we were we just got together to um, to play at an after hours club for fun. And to you know, they pass around the hat for money after we were done, and that would pay my hydro bill, kind of thing that week. Um, it was really just for fun. Right. So um, yeah, so I didn't go to university to become a musician, but I ended up becoming a musician because I went to that university. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you stay the the whole time when you were there? Did, you, did, did I? You get the, did you get the history degree? I did. Oh, good. I did. So, 
you know, if this music thing doesn't work out, you always can fall back on that, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know. I think it's probably hard, harder to find work with a history degree than it is to to become, uh, you know, a living musician these days. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So when you first met Brad, what were you like your initial uh, thoughts about him? Well, I was quite intrigued by him because he, he was a very distinctive character at our university. Um, I, I knew who he was before I'd met him. He had, you know, he was this sort of cool guy who had long hair, and he he had a lot of confidence. He carried himself with a lot of confidence. Um, and so I was intrigued. Who is this guy? And then um, a friend of mine met him through mutual friends, and uh, she heard that he was looking for a keyboard player to, you know, join his little after hours band and um, she mentioned me and so I, that's how I got to meet him is through a mutual friend um, so yeah I, I knew who he was he he sort of looked famous before he was famous if that makes sense yeah and he has that you know unmistakable voice that really you know sucks you in as well yeah well of course I didn't know what his voice was like before I met him but right yeah. and he was actually singing a lot he wasn't he was trying not to you utilize his bass baritone, and I, th I think he didn't sort of come into that until a little bit later, um, because you know all of our influences at the time, there there wouldn't have been a lot of bass baritone singers out there in, right. in pop music or even you know folk music. So um, I think he was trying to sing higher than he than he should have. Right. In those like after hours clubs, were you were you guys performing covers or like original music that Brad wrote? Um, at first, it was covers. We were doing, you know, country covers, folk covers, television theme songs, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, uh, actually, I think the story is that Brad went to the Winnipeg Folk Festival, which is one of the, the most amazing folk festivals in North America. Um, and he saw Lyle Lovett performing. And I think he, that sort of inspired him to try writing a couple of songs just for just for fun. And the first song he wrote was Superman song, which was a big hit for us here in Canada eventually. Um, so first we started off um, doing, you know, covers and stuff like that. And then eventually Brad started writing um, originals, which was, you know, good fun for us too. And then we we thought that we would try to get into folk, the folk festival circuit, so we recorded a little five-song demo of all of Brad's new originals, and we sent it out to folk festivals, and that's how we sort of got our first festival gigs. And those were, you know, we got the opening slot on Thursday night on at the Winnipeg Folk Festival, um, which was our first, I think that was in 1989, and it, we were that was a big deal for us. That was, we were so excited to be involved with the Winnipeg Folk Festival, because they're they're just sort of an institution. <laughs> right. And as a result, did you get your first record deal because of that folk festival? Um, not because of that folk festival, but by that time, um, well, it, I guess that would be, that was, it was part of a sort of a trend. Brad right. was writing more and more originals. Um, there was a bit of a buzz about us in Winnipeg, and um, we we went on a, t a tour of uh, Southern Ontario, um, and then we played this conference in, in Winnipeg. Oh, I hope I'm remembering this right, because it was over 30 years ago, right. um, called the Maria Conference, Manitoba um, Recording something, <laughs> Maria Conference. <laughs> right. It was a, rec a recording industry conference in, in Manitoba, and uh, a few people saw us there that sort of um, started hyping us up a little bit, and just from that five-song demo. And... Uh, and within a year, we had, you know, three or four record companies um, 
vying for our our signatures, and we ended up signing with BMG in early 1990. What was like that kind of like recruiting experience like for you guys? Um, it was kind of surreal, <laughs> to be <laughs> honest. Now you have to remember that because Brad was the song, the, the only songwriter at that time, right. he was the one who was sort of really yeah. in the thick of it. So right. um, he was handling all the business side, all the back and forth with management and um, record companies, stuff like that. But for you know the rest of us, it was just it was rather surreal. We had you know six or seven original songs that you know when we were starting to get the buzz, and it was like what the hell. <laughs> <laughs> We were pretty ragtag back then, if I if I remember correctly. Just looking back at photos, and we we did not have a honed image. I just still don't right. think we do, but it was even worse then. <laughs> <laughs> right, and then um, you know, Superman song, so to speak, took off in, in Canada, and like it didn't really do that much in, in the states. Um, and I remember when I was I went to college up in Buffalo, so. Being at the college radio station, they they played it a lot there, but I don't remember really being that popular in the states, unfortunately. Tarzan wasn't a ladies' man. He'd just come along and scoop him up under his arm like that. Quick as a cat in the jungle But Clark Kent, no, there was a real gent He would not be caught sitting around in no jungle scheme Dumb as an ape doing nothing Superman never made any money Saving the world from Solomon Grundy And sometimes I despair The world will never see another man Like him Hey Bob, Soup had a straight job even though he could have smashed you any bank in the United States He had the strength, but he would not Folks said his family were all dead Planet crumbled, but Superman, he forced himself to carry Get Krypton and keep going Superman never made any money For saving the world from Sodom and Grundy And sometimes I despair The world will never see another man Like him Tarzan was king of the jungle and lord over all the apes. But he could hardly 
Changing clothes and dirty old phone booths till his work was through. Then nothing to do but go home. home. Superman never made any money. Saving the world from Sodom and And sometimes I despair the No, it, it actually didn't pick up until the second album was released, right. and then it, it got people went back and got the first record. But yeah, you're right. Uh, Superman Song wasn't a huge hit off the mark uh, in the States like it was in Canada. Yeah, and the, the video, I remember the video was fantastic, or all like the uh, old, you know, aging superheroes attending the funeral. It was, it was really clever. I was, whose idea was that for the video? That was my idea. Oh, wow. Great. I did a lot of the storyboards for, um, for the first videos. Right. You know, yeah, that, that, that was really, uh, really creative. I, I really enjoyed that one. Uh, oh, thank you. Yeah. And then, of course, the, the second album is, I think, where really people in America, including myself, really became fans. Uh, do you think, uh, you know, uh, you think that was kind of like a blessing and curse for you guys, that song? Nope. I think it was a straight up blessing. This kid who got into an accident and couldn't come to school, but when he finally came back, his hair had turned from black into bright white. He said that it was from when the cousin smashed his soul.
Moses boy whose parents made him come directly home right after school in the wind. They went to their church. They shook and lurched all over the church floor. He couldn't quite explain it. They'd always just Uh, I, I don't, I, if you mean by curses, like that's the only song that people would ever know us for kind of thing. Is that what you mean? Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, whatever brings fans to the band, that's fine. I mean, right. a lot of people uh, will only know, oh yeah, that band that played the humming song. Um, and that's fine, but you know, they're, they, those aren't our core fans. Those are people who listen to radio in 1994 and 95 when that song was on like bananas rotation and i apologize to people who were sick of that song but you know <laughs> that's the way radio is um that song did bring people to buy the record and then people who were interested in the band beyond that those are our core fans and we've had them for life so i would say it's it's 100 percent a blessing for us that song yeah no, that's great and like you, you mentioned before because uh, i was one of the fans that was turned on by that song and became a fan, you know, and checked out uh, your first album and everything else and, you know, been a fan ever since. But did, um, was that kind of an easy song for, for Brad to come up with? An easy song? Um, no, I, I think, and I think Brad would back me up on this, is that back in the day, he would, he wasn't like a songwriter who could sit down and write a song in a day. He, he spent a long time, you know, I think, I think God Shop the Seat might have taken him three weeks to write, which maybe that doesn't seem like a lot, but right. um, he spent a lot of time crafting songs. So I don't think it was easy. I think um, he had originally intended there to be lyrics in the in the humming chorus, but he okay. couldn't come up with anything. So he just sort of hummed until uh, until he could come up with a lyric. And then eventually it just kind of like, well, actually, it kind of works <laughs> for us. So, so I, I don't think it was a difficult, uh, an easy write for him, but you know, it wasn't... I don't think it was torment. <laughs> right, right. And I'm sure you guys got a sense that you made it when uh, Weird Al covered it, right? <laughs> well, yeah, career highlight, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Once there was this kid who took a trip to Singapore and brought along his spray painting when he finally came back. He had cane marks all over his bottom. He said that it was from when the warden whacked it so
And when we're, Al covers you, you know that you're you're doing okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. That was very cool for us, yes. Right. And then, you know, the song took off. Do you remember, like, playing any of, like, the, like, late night shows or any of those shows? For sure. I remember them. They were... Yeah. Any, any it was, it, it was a It was a bit of a whirlwind back in the day. Um, yeah. It was very exciting. <laughs> right. And, and any good stories about them? Um... <clears throat> Well, when we were doing those shows, we, it was like serious grind time, you know. So if we right. got a, a call that we, you know, we were doing David Letterman uh, and we weren't in New York, we would be on a plane at five the morning, in the morning, arriving in New York, going to David Letterman and then flying out that night or very early the next morning. So it, it, was, it was exhausting because we weren't always where they were filming those shows. But we flew, would fly in because obviously you're going to, right? Right, of course. Um, but, um, I mean, I can't, I don't know of any stories because we really just go in, do the show and leave. Saturday Night Live was really fun, although that was kind of an ill-fated show, ended up being. Um, David Letterman, we played him three times, which was great. He always kept his studio very cold, 50 degrees. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just telling you, it was chilly. Yeah. What was but yeah, no, it was it was always all of course very thrilling to be able to play those shows and uh, and meet those people. Right. Now I'm drawing a blank now about the Saturday Night Live one. What what was the story there? Well, I think what happened there is we were on the backup list to do like they, they had a they had a uh, they had a band who canceled at the last minute. Right. And uh, they asked us to come in, so and we were uh, paired up with Martin Lawrence uh, as the host, and we were totally thrilled and totally honored. But he, um, his monologue, uh, and you know it's live, so right. his his monologue was was kind of in poor taste. Okay. Um, he said some nasty words, and right. so Saturday Night Live wouldn't re-air that. They would never sort of put that back into reruns and stuff. I think they've since lifted that. Um, but yeah, there was kind of a little bit of a cloud over that episode. Um, but still, we got to play Saturday Night Live, and you know, I got my picture taken with cast members, so that was exciting for me. Um, right. Yeah, it's sort of like a, it's sort of like a bit of a water watershed moment to play to play uh, Saturday Night Live. Right. Yeah, and that was a great cast. That was like Adam Sandler, Chris Farley, uh, all those guys, right? Yeah, yeah, it was, a, it was yeah. a good good time. Yeah. Yeah. So then, like, I pretty much first discovered, like, your voice uh, when you covered uh, Ballad of Peter Pumpkinhead, which XTC is one of my favorite bands. Uh, how did that come about? Let's begin.
Um, well, we always want to have uh, we, me sing one song in the show at least, just to give right. people a break from the uh, the bass baritone, and it just adds a little something to the live show to switch it up a bit. So I had been singing another song for years and years, and we needed a new one. And so we picked that one, and I'd been singing it for about six months, and then the people who um, were filming Dumb and Dumber approached right. us and, and asked if we would record that for, for their soundtrack, and, and we did. <laughs> did you ever hear any feedback from the band about your cover? From from XTC? Yeah. Um, uh, Brad was in touch with Andy Partridge at the time. I think they have some sort of communication between the two of them. I mean... If anything, they would have been getting money in the bank because they right, wrote the song, and um, so they would get the money for that. But uh, you know, we, I think we missed a, we uh, switched it up a little bit just verses wise. But yeah. I I don't think I heard anything negative. We did a pretty true to original rendition of it. We didn't go out on a limb with any crazy arrangements. So I I don't think they would have been too disappointed. I hope not. No, yeah, it, it, it turned out fantastic. And I, I always enjoy covers when you have, like, the opposite, opposite sex sing it because when you, it just sounds like a straight-up cover. You know, now you have, like, Weezer. They have their album covers, and I think it just sounds pretty much like a poor cover, you know, attempt at a, at a you know, great songs, whereas your version of, you know, Peter Pumpkin is great because it just it brings more, I think, authenticity to it. Well, it's just something different, right? And, yeah, uh, absolutely. And twist. Yeah, but uh, mm-hmm. my favorite, yeah, my favorite album of you guys is uh, "Give Yourself a Hand," and mm-hmm. yeah, you know, it's I, I love it because it's a nice mixture, you know, of you with, with your, your couple songs. Uh, "Get You in the Morning" is, is my favorite song by you guys. Wow. 
that's a nice mixture. How how was that process like when it's coming up with kind of like a, a balance of songs for you guys? Um, I think at that point, Brad just really just wanted to do something different. He liked to do something different with each album. Right. And uh and he he definitely wanted me on more than one song on the record. He just he just wanted to have a different kind of recording. Um and we were working with Greg Wells, uh producer in LA who's amazing and, and Brad wrote co wrote a bunch of the songs with him. Um and it really it really was just to to create a different album, to to create a different vibe and you know, having a different vocalist is is going to create that for sure. Yeah. And was it true you guys had or Brad written like over 35 songs that all got rejected by the record company? Um, he had written a lot. I don't know if it was 35 or more or less, <clears throat> but it was a lot. Um, and and I think that's true of a lot of <clears throat> a lot of bands is that you just you know you pump out a bunch of of uh, songs and the record company is going to reject some of them. They're going to say, no, we can't sell that. Yes, they can. Um, doesn't mean they're good or bad songs. It's just what the record company thinks right. they can sell or not. So, yeah, he did write a lot. Yeah. Well, did that kind of cause friction between you guys and the record company after a while? Um, I, I think we knew it was par for the course. That is just part right. of the deal. I mean, I, I can't really remember specifically um, – Maybe we disagreed on what what should have been kept in or not, but I don't remember it being a huge issue. You'd have to you'd have to talk to Brad about that. I I have no recollection at all. Right, right. And then you know a few years later, you guys kind of took a break from touring. Uh, you uh, you re- you released a fab. I I love your solo album. Oh, thanks. It's, yeah, it's great. It's, it's really hard to find. I, I have. Uh, I have a, it's a CD from years ago, but it's, it's streaming. It's, it's impossible to find. I don't even think it's on. Anymore. I haven't put it up on streaming yet. Oh, that's why. Okay. Any I haven't put it up. Um, while we're touring, um, I want to sell the album. I don't want to oh. sell one song that that I right. that I the one song that I sing live, and it really is just a business decision. It right. is available on my. I have an old old blog. Um, it is available there. I took it off because I had sold out. Um, okay. And I didn't want to reprint them, uh, but since we went back on the road, I reprinted them, and I just haven't hooked up that link yet because <laughs> I'm right. late. Yeah. Available on my little blog eventually. Oh. oh, that's great. Do you have any like any other plans of releasing any more solo work? Um, not at the moment. Um, recording is, to be honest, it's very expensive, and. Right. Um, if I could be guaranteed that I would at least recoup, you know, make the money back, um, I would do it. But you know, it's an investment of a of a lot of money because I don't run um, recording software on my own. I don't have a recording studio in my house, um, and I have really no interest in in sort of setting that kind of thing up. Right, right. It, it can be very expensive, and unless I was guaranteed that I would sell a certain number of copies, which I'm not, um, I probably wouldn't. Yeah. Okay. Mama needs to pay her hydro bill. She's got three cats and a dog to feed. Yes. Uh, you, yeah. You have to. Yeah. You got to do that. You can't. You can't leave them out in the cold. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So now, I mean, it's it's crazy that it's uh, over 25 years now that uh, God Shuffled Feet came out, and you guys have been touring, you know, since. Um, how how did they like kind of reunion come about? Um. We got an invitation. I think Stuart Cameron, he's our guitar player, um, he got 
he's connected to every musician in Canada. He's just bananas. He's an amazing person. Uh, and he has a, uh, an, he was in a band that's uh, got some, a couple albums out there called The Heartbroken, and it's just amazing stuff. You should check it out. Okay. Um, but he had connections in Winnipeg, and they reached out to us. Uh, was it the Canada Summer Games? was being held in Winnipeg, and the, the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra needed a band to play with, and oh, they asked us. And so we thought, well, you know, you can't pass up a, an opportunity to play with a symphony. It's very cool, and our hometown and all that kind of stuff. So we took that gig, and we had so much fun, and it was we got such a great reception from our, um, from our amazing Winnipeg people uh, that we thought, well, you know, maybe we could, let's get the band back together. We right. can rehearse in the old barn, that kind of thing. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we just thought, well, you know, we'll see if we can get some, uh, get some shows together. And so, uh, went to our agent and they said, yeah, we'll find you some shows. And that's history. That's great. Any plans of releasing a new album or anything? <clears throat> there are no plans to not release a new album, but okay. right now we're just focusing on, on doing this, this, uh, anniversary tour. Right. Um, and see where that goes. Um, that I, I, that, that's a question you'd have to ask Brad. Um, but he, I don't think he has any immediate plans to, to release anything. He, he does have a bunch of songs, but whether he um, wants to invest some money, as you know, he's in the same position. It's like if he could be assured that he would recoup, I'm sure he would. But it's, it's a very expensive process. Yeah. So I mean, like you, you guys, you know, keep bringing that up, and it's like, how different is it for you guys now compared to like 25 years ago? I mean, because you guys are pretty much on your own label, kind of running things without record companies backing, right? Yes. Um, so there are good things and, and bad things about that. The good thing is that you're, you know, you're in charge of what you do. You take the gigs right. you want. You, you know, you do the music you want. You, you do your own thing. But the bad thing is, is that you don't have tour support money behind you. You don't have a promo team behind you. You don't have a radio person, you know, hammering you at radio. Um, so our, our venues are much smaller because we just don't have the publicity. Right. Um, we, we're in a van, <laughs> which yeah. is it's not very glamorous, let me tell you. And the drives are long, <laughs> right. and the days are long. So it's it's much more. It's a harder gig. It's much harder. And we're all you know twenty five thirty years older. So right. um, there's that too. And we have we have families at home and, and lives at home that we're leaving behind but this is also we're also able to you know to have a little bit more of a relaxed pace too so it's not like we're out for 10 10 weeks solid um with two weeks off in between there's not that grind um so there's there's good things and bad things right. but mostly it's fun <laughs> yeah that's good yeah if it wasn't fun you wouldn't be doing it anymore right exactly yeah yeah, Ellen, but this was great. Thank you for a few minutes today, and hopefully you guys will come, come back to the States soon. I'm sure we will. We're going to be doing the West Coast of the States in August, just a few shows in the West Coast. Um, yeah, but I'm hoping that we can swing back Connecticut way ASAP. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks again, Ellen. My pleasure. And a special thanks to Ellen for joining me today. Go check out the band's website, CrashTestDummies.com. If you want to follow them on Twitter, it's CTDSBand. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at personal 19 Be sure to like the page of Living My Youth on Facebook. Go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes? Not a problem. 
It shows on the SoundCloud. It's on Podbean. You go to relivingmyyouth.threadless.com for all your merchandise, hats, towels, phone case, stickers, whatever. They make a great gift. New episode comes out every Wednesday. Next week's a big one. Dandy Rock of the Smiths. We'll see you then.